Julie, I think the thing I learned the most in ankle sprains part one was that my ankle has gone to shit. <laughs> Yours are really shitty. <laughs> yeah. And I probably need more help than what Dr. Hamid could offer me. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need a part two. Maybe that's why we called it part one, because we were going to make a part two. <laughs> we knew. Yeah. It would be fun, actually, to just do part one and leave it part one and <laughs> just, just mess with everybody. Oh, the, the inevitable <laughs> maybe part two will be coming. But what I'd like to get to the bottom of is that ankle and maybe like my ankle that doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like I can do anything I want to do, but it just doesn't feel right. Or like it sprains and nothing happens. And that's cool because I can keep walking, but that's probably not good. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, that's probably not a good thing. It's not an asset. So I think we should bring on an expert to talk to us about what to do with that ankle that's just not cooperating. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. Julie, let's uh, talk a little bit about what to do with an ankle that it just isn't cooperating. And maybe you did something to jack it up a few months ago, but it's just not giving you what you need. And with that, I want to bring on somebody I've worked very closely with in the past and somebody I know who is an expert in this area, has a lot of history in the biomechanics field. This is Erin Schreiber, who is a physical therapist. She is the lead physical therapist at the Movement Guild. She graduated with her doctorate in physical therapy from Northwestern. She volunteers at things like the Marathon, the Chicago Marathon, Shamrock Shuffle, triathlons, pro volleyball, and frankly, when her co-host of this podcast is having issues. Um, <laughs> she has three kids and balances that life just like we all try to and is really into vinyasa yoga, which I am too. So this is great. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So listen, I feel like one of the most common presentations I see with ankles when people come into the office is I rolled it or I tweaked it or something happened a couple months ago. I gave it time. I didn't think I need to see a doctor. Honestly, the pain went down, but I'm trying to do X, Y, or Z. So I'm trying to run or I'm trying to jump and it just doesn't feel right or I still feel off. What's wrong with it? And so we'll try to go through that. But I feel like ultimately what happens is, is they need some sort of physical therapy intervention. And so what I'd love for you to start with is what are the most common things that you see at that time frame in people's ankles? So it sort of comes back to the structures that are affected when you roll your ankle or, you know, when you sprain your ankle, obviously we go through a quick stretch. And so there's a little bit more movement that's driven through the joint. And so sometimes things can be a little bit lax and, and have extra wiggle, so to speak that makes it a little tougher to stabilize. And so people sort of go through a relearning phase where they have to now adapt to better stabilize their joints dynamically using their muscles. Another big thing is obviously with an injury, you get pain and swelling. And not only does that shut down your body's ability to recruit the muscles a little bit, but we tend to move around pain. So people will move differently over their ankles. And that too then affects not only the stress into the ankle joint, but also up into your hips and into the rest of your body which can ironically actually further your pain because a big piece of the stress that goes through your foot is where it lands on the ground. So if we're moving around our pain and not normally over the ankle, we'll continue overstressing different areas. So things that people can do certainly would be to go see a PC and find out exactly 
how they might be moving in a way that's not natural for them. Generally speaking, you want to strengthen the muscles that were affected by the sprain, and not just with bands, but once the additional movement has had time to kind of heal. So once the ligaments have had time to stiffen, then you can start weight bearing and standing on your leg and really moving in a way that's more true to what you want to do with it. So if you want to run, you need to do things that look, smell, feel like running. If you want to play basketball, you've got to start manipulating your gaze and your, you know, your cervical rotation, turning your head like you would if you're looking for a ball so that your body knows how to process all of that additional information while it's learning how to stabilize your ankle again. I love how you just hit on that, how you have to like do something that's all the way up at your neck and in your, in your gaze using your eyes, but we're talking about rehabbing an ankle. I just think, I just wanted to cut in and say that, that that's an awesome point. I find it so fascinating about <laughs> how much our foot and ankle does. And like, it just seems like these two little weird little structures that absorb all of your body weight have to stabilize you, have to do one million little tiny intrinsic things just to keep you standing there. So it makes all the sense in the world that if there is a even a slight injury to some of those stabilizers of the stabilizer, then that can really put a kink in the chain, as it were. So I really love how you put that together, Aaron, of like, yeah, if, if there's a problem at the bottom of the roots of the tree, <laughs> then you're, you, you may have issues. You may have, I know patients come in a lot and saying like, ah, I just feel like my hip is being weird because it's compensating for what my foot and ankle isn't doing correctly. And I think that's a, that's a pretty accurate statement. I mean, it's certainly it's a very simplified one, but that's why it's so great to have folks like you to flesh out that concept for us. So I would like to kind of go back to basics and just talk about like the overview of like normal function of the foot and ankle, like just break it down, do it, you know, elementary language for me. Like, what are they supposed to be doing for us? How do they work normally? I'm glad you asked, Julie. There's two major functions of the foot. The first is to be a shock absorber. So when your foot hits the ground, it's obviously the first point of contact and all the impact of our bodies coming down is absorbed through the foot before it transmits up the chain. And then the second equally important function is it needs to be a rigid, stable lever when it comes to pushing off. So it's kind of that dichotomy to extremes, um, but it needs to be able to transition to do both effectively. And it seems like when somebody, and we'll get into this more, but I'm just, I'm doing like broad strokes here, but it seems like some when someone has a pretty prototypical ankle sprain where they sort of turned their, or they rolled their ankle is what we, you know, a lot of people call it, or, or kind of an inversion injury where their ankle is turning in. You know, in, in my knowledge, it tends to disrupt some of the usual lateral outside of the ankle stabilizers, either the, either the tiny little ligaments that are there plus minus some of the muscles and tendons. So it's funny to think of when you really are thinking of the ankle of like this rigid lever, a lever that goes, you know, back and forth and back and forth. But really, there's a ton of rotation and, you know, inside outside stability, too. And that's what when people roll their ankle, they don't usually have a problem with up and down and up and down motion as much as they do with trying to turn and stabilize laterally. So it is interesting that like just these little teeny tiny bands of tissue that can create all this havoc and make it so so necessary for folks to see someone like you, Erin, to remind our brain to turn things on and off correctly. And that's kind of the beauty of it too. I mean, you mentioned going up and down the chain and often with those inversion sprains, you can have just a slight change in the alignment of the bones. Like the, the small one on the outside of your ankle can get pulled down and forward. The top of the foot can kind of shift forward a little bit and it quite literally jams up the chain. So for someone who might be experiencing problems later on down the line, some of that pain and that disability might simply be due to a positional 
fault or, you know, it just got literally pulled out of position. We need to assess it and help it guide it back into the appropriate effective spot. (laughs) When you see people get injured, Julie already mentioned probably the most common one that we see, which is kind of that inversion ankle sprain and, and probably an injury that gets maybe undersold in the community. Everybody's kind of like, yeah, I just kind of tweaked my ankle. And so the ligament damage of the ankle doesn't get the same respect that some of the ligament damage in other body parts get. What are some of the things that you see compromised from that in the, in the normal function? So we have the shock absorption and then the rigid lever. So like what happens after we've compromised it? So number one with the shock absorption, if there's a little bit too much play or too much laxity in the joint, then the ability to absorb shock is compromised and it changes the way that our muscles can transmit that stress. Those are the times where, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but ideally if somebody had a higher grade ankle sprain, they would have seen one of you and probably gotten some kind of immobilized or device, a brace, an air cast, depending on how bad it was to help kind of tighten up those ligaments again. But again, in the absence of having gone through that functional instability is different than mechanical instability, just meaning that if somebody had a sprain and now it's a little bit looser than it was before, it's not the end of the world. They're not destined to a life of pain, but they do need to make up for that strengthening the musculature and not just strengthening, but also improving the coordination. Because when, again, muscles stretch, muscles injured, when you roll your ankle in those outside peroneals, those muscles along the outside edge are damaged in a way that we have to then treats. So you need to allow the time for healing, allow them to be strengthened so that they can, again, protect your ankle the way that they ought to have. I want to like paint that picture for people visually. So you have a normal ankle with the structures that are being kind of holding it together, right? And you're using it to kind of take on the shock. And imagine in your brain now that those things have kind of been thrown off or are not the same. And so Aaron used the word laxity or, or basically that it's not as like stiffened down. It's not being held as tightly together. And so when you come down and put all that force through there, you're not going to have the forces going in the same ways that you're used to. And so that can create even a sensation of not necessarily pain, but that it's off or doesn't feel right. So I think that that's a really nice way of kind of like imagining in your head how even an injury that is healed can still give you a sensation that it doesn't feel normal. Totally. It just reminds me of when, Aaron, when you were saying that, you know, typically the, it begins with some period of immobilization, like many injuries, you know, like acute injuries in the musculoskeletal system is like, all right, just don't use it for a little bit and let Mother Nature do her job to, you know, have the acute inflammatory reaction where things get kind of pissed off and swollen and you let them do that for a little while. And usually I tell folks like probably no more than like sometimes a few days, sometimes a week or two. But after that, it's like, all right, let's get this moving again. But it reminds me of my husband's grandfather, Chuck, who was a master chief in the Navy. And whenever any of his people would get ankle sprains, he'd just say, just lace up your boot really tight and go for a walk. (laughs) And and there's probably something not that that wrong about it. But I mean, that was probably in 1968. (laughs) Depends on how tight the boot was, I guess. Rub some dirt on it. (laughs) Yeah, rub some dirt on it and yeah, lace up your boot and go for a walk. (laughs) Can we talk about the other flip side of that for a second? Because I feel like we also see it sometimes people are over immobilized. Absolutely. Right. So like sometimes they get to us and they've been in a boot for like eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. And maybe the consequences of that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a saying in rehab, we can always make more motion. It's hard to stiffen up something that's hypermobile. So you know, it's obviously not ideal, it delays the healing process. But you know, in that case, we want to restore the mobility. But ideally, you do want to start weight bearing as soon as it's appropriate. 
And again, kind of the goal with creating that functional ankle stabilization, the ability to both raise and lower the arch and absorb shock and create rigidity is that you just need to be able to create movement at a way that is well controlled. And so for everyone, that's going to be different. Banded exercises only get you so far. We generally want to get people standing on their legs as soon as possible and creating rotation, like you talked about, Julie, and and forward and backward movement as is organic to our day-to-day life within control. So if somebody's visibly dumping into the outside edge of their foot or collapsing totally pancake down Fred Flintstone style to the ground when they're standing on one leg, they're clearly not being effective at whatever it is that they're trying to do. But getting you up on your feet will speed the healing process. So it's just a matter of finding the level of difficulty for exercise that works for you. What's your typical time frame that you're seeing people with ankle injuries? I mean, I, I bet you run the gamut. Like if you're doing an injury yeah. screen or someone just came in from, oh, this happened to me yesterday playing soccer and ah, or someone <laughs> who's like, I saw my physician and they ordered physical therapy. So it's been like a week or two. I've been in this boot. And then I'm assuming too, you've probably seen people that are like, dude, this happened three months ago and it's still killing me. You know, what's sort of your breakdown of the timeframes that you usually see folks with these issues? Absolutely. I mean, some folks, it's just a minor strain and they could be in and out in two weeks or so. And then others may be here around for several months. It just, it depends. <laughs> I feel like I see a fair amount, Jeremy, and see if you echo this, but I tend to have people that are sort of an acute on chronic ankle problem. And that's sort of, I think what we're trying to talk about today is how do we recognize the need for rehab, which I mean, to be honest, is everybody to some degree, but then what you were saying, Aaron, of like, maybe it's a couple weeks to a few months, because I mean, I think it's, you know, we could show our receipts here. But once an ankle sprain happens, there's a bit of a propensity if it's not rehabbed correctly, to be a bit easier to happen the second time and the third time and the 15th time. And just like any other joint injury, every time you're causing little micro trauma, that could turn into macro trauma or, you know, issues down the road like degenerative joint disease or chronic instability or arthritis or you know and those are the things that I'm trying to prevent from happening in my you know 12 year olds or in my collegiate athletes or in our professional athletes too so yeah I mean Aaron do you feel like you see a fair amount of folks that are like well this isn't my first ankle sprain like is that kind of more the norm Absolutely. Like you said, it's a huge risk factor for additional sprains down the line. And to that end, you were wondering, you know, what people should do in order to prevent that from happening. And so you can address it locally. You can train the ankle itself, do a lot of single leg activities while you're either catching or on unstable surfaces, stable surfaces that move, manipulating rotation throughout your body. And then you can also start to look up the chain, so to speak, and create more strength and stability in your core. The abdominal muscles and the glutes around your hips have a huge impact on determining where your foot falls and therefore the stress that it receives as you move over it. And then additionally, which was a little surprising, I mean, I guess not surprising, but cardiorespiratory fitness is a huge component of the risk for ankle sprain. So just staying healthy and well all around is also going to reduce your risk because if you're able to keep your, your energy up and again, land or move efficiently, you're going to reduce that risk too. You touched on like structural and functional instability. I find that really fascinating. I mean, when it comes to any joint, certainly Jeremy and I as sports medicine physicians see kind of, and and that's how I lay it out to folks coming in with a concern about their knee or their shoulder or their hip or their ankle is that, okay, like 
I often say like the scaffolding is okay because we get <laughs> x-rays on almost every patient that walks in the door, which is nice because I tell people like, you know, x-rays don't mean everything. X-rays are kind of a screening tool for a lot of things. And I think it's great as a, a tool to show somebody a like, okay, you're not broken. You know, <laughs> like I think a lot of people come in thinking like, oh my gosh, something's bad because usually ankle sprains look awful. They look terrible. They're bruised a lot. They are super swollen and ugly. This like, I feel like the most texted picture for an MSK injury that I see are ankle sprains. So when folks come in and get an x-ray, they're almost surprised that like, how is it not broken? Like it feels broken. And I usually tell them like, it's okay. Like I'm not trying to downplay your symptoms here. This sucks and it hurts a lot and it's scary, you know? And I feel like we see a lot of ankle sprain type injuries that come in and and you have to like talk people off the ledge that like, you're going to be okay, you know? But I think once we get them out of that acute like, ah, like it doesn't need to be amputated phase. It's so great to have you, Aaron, to like kind of take over and say, okay, you know, that big, bad, scary, ugly part is over. Now let's get you back to where you were before. Do you feel like, Erin, in the vast majority of people that you can get them back to their prior level of functioning in their ankle? Absolutely. Yeah. No. And again, like you're saying, functional versus structural instability. Most people do have a little bit of additional wiggle if we were to do like stress radiographs and it's a higher grade Mm -hmm. sprain, but it doesn't affect them long-term as long as they, you know, train to stabilize it. It's just that difference between having the additional movement and being able to effectively raise and lower the arch of your foot versus some people don't have any laxity and still can't do that. And they're going to have a worse outcome on, on their foot and ankle than someone who had a sprain and has trained to be able to control their motion more appropriately. It also harkens back to an earlier episode we did with the sports performance where we talked about functional range of motion. There's range of motion and then there's functional range of motion. So here it's functional and, you know, like standard range stability, right? So like, again, I think kind of separating out in your brain that there's what you can do in a stationary position or what you can do in the doctor's office with somebody either moving you or you moving. And then there's what you're trying to do when you're trying to be active. And, and those things are not the same and certainly affect performance. Aaron, touch on, I spend a lot of time with patients talking to them about proprioception, especially in this this phase where they're kind of like, it just feels off to me. Can you kind of talk about what you uh, both tell patients about what proprioception is and how it affects this injury? Well, proprioception is the awareness of where you are in space throughout your body. And with the, the swelling that affects the nerves in your foot and ankle, that can certainly be decreased for a period of time, depending on how long it is swollen. And then there's a need to re-educate your, your body through that positional sense. What's interesting is that you'll actually get a better result if you train on solid ground. I think a lot of folks start off, whether because it's something that they saw on YouTube or otherwise on AirX or squishy surfaces, and that decreases your awareness of where you are in space, it decreases the accuracy of the information you get through your joint and through the soft tissue of your foot and ankle. So actually just starting off on solid ground on one foot and maybe closing your eyes so that you take vision out of it is a really good way to begin that process of re-educating your brain, essentially, you know, how to process the, the input from your joint and from the muscles and your inner ear, really, to be better able to control your, yourself. And interestingly, I was just going to bring it back to functional range conditioning. It's it's funny. That's actually their slogan is control yourself. And so, you know, really, I always tell people you don't need to train heavy. You just need to be able to control your own body because essentially, unless your job entails lifting heavy things, like really, what do we do on a day to day? We, We go up and downstairs. We run to like 
catch the bus, we, we move ourselves and then whatever we might be carrying. But that's really functionally what is most important for most of us anyway. I love that. Control yourself. That would be a good tagline for this yeah. episode, Jeremy. Is <laughs> control yourself. Listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> and your ankle. Listen to your ankle as well. Yes, yes, We've had yes. a few episodes. I feel like almost every episode at this point, Julie, that has involved some sort of musculoskeletal medicine has had it, somebody touch on the fact that the brain is so involved. So I think sometimes people really who don't do this for a living or haven't, you know, spend as much time as the three of us have in this, don't always think about the MSK, the musculoskeletal system and the nervous system as one. Like if I have a nervous problem, I go to a neurologist and I have a musculoskeletal problem, I go to an orthopedist and like that kind of thing. But just how interconnected they really are and how much we need the nervous system and the brain to be controlling our body, our orthopedic thing, you know, almost like what I tell people is the the nerves and such are like the conduit coming from the power source going to the light bulb and the light bulb doesn't work without the conduit and then the conduit doesn't work without the power source. <laughs> right. So, but, and, and that's a really dumbed down version of it. But, but again, just, I think Aaron has even hammered on it a couple times already that, that so much of this is retraining your brain about your ankle. And that's why it doesn't necessarily feel normal, even though the structures may have may have healed. It's kind of makes me think of when I talk to folks about, you know, when people tell them like it's all in your head for anything. I was like, everything you experience all the time is in your head. When you stub your toe, your experience of that is in your head because your brain is processing how you're experiencing pain. You're experiencing that proprioception dysregulation. Like, absolutely. So I think it is empowering. I hope to make it empowering for people to be like, yeah, it's all in your head. Of course, it's all in your head. Let's mm -hmm. try to remind the head how to tell everything, to how to turn on and off the right way so the bulb isn't flickering and you're able to activate those you know, those little tiny fibers in your muscles that that turn on and off in different ways. And sometimes it's it's nice to break it down and tell somebody that like, or, or put it in a way that's understandable of like, think about what would happen if somebody threw something at your face like about how protecting yourself, you would just do it. And I even say that in the office with people, whatever I'm holding, if it's a pen or something, it's like, if I threw this at you, you would probably catch it or you at least bat it away from yourself. It would take you, hopefully, it wouldn't take you very long to do that thing. So I, I almost like to use things like that to tell people like, and that's what your ankle is trying to do. But if it doesn't have the right ability to have that input, then the output's not going to be there and you're going to get hit in the face, you know? That's the take-home message. If you don't do the right stuff, you're going to get hit in the face. <laughs> don't get hit in the face. Listen to your doctor friends. Aaron, in the past, we've talked with physical therapists and whatnot about like what they see in the office. Like the person comes in, you want to do an intake and like what you're looking at. And I want to do that. But I think to keep with the theme of your doctor friends and with um, the theme of the medium that we're on, if somebody were to text you like a good friend or, or frankly were to FaceTime you or whatever and said, listen, my ankle's just not where it needs to be, what would be some things that you would have them do either to like maybe to start off just to test and give you some information that, that you could do remotely and then maybe some things you would do afterward to have them kind of work on some stuff? Absolutely. Well, over the phone, I yes. set the phone down on the floor and then tell them just to walk back and forth, look for that ability to collapse and absorb shock or pronate and then again roll to the outside and get a little stiffer for push off i'd have them go on one foot and then have them rotate from the top down so shift their hips in rotation right left can the foot actively with a little bit more weight on it collapse and raise what's their calf strength like can they do some heel raises can they dorsiflex enough because that's another big risk flexion factor for injury so I'd have them do like a depth squat and look at whether their ankle will give and their knee can come forward over their foot sufficiently so that they're not going to roll in and out. If there's that colors of the rainbow effect from a, a sprain, then I'll take a look at you know where that is, have them show me where the pain is and just sort of run through in my mind what 
structures might have been affected based off of where their symptoms are. And then based off of that, go from there. That's awesome. So they doing this by FaceTime to you, but let's just say that they didn't have access to you like we have access to you. So they're kind of recording this just mm-hmm. to break that down a little bit. So one of the things you kept saying there was the ability to kind of like fall in and come up with the foot. Can you kind of touch on what people would be looking at there? Yeah, absolutely. So when your foot hits the ground, your heel rolls out and your arch, um, the mid portion of your foot should lower towards the floor. And then as the foot goes behind you, as you kind of transition for push off, your heel is going to raise and your weight is going to roll to the outside of your foot, but your big toe will keep contact with the ground. So again, the differentiation between structurally and functionally effective foot. Well, it's the same. We're just looking to see whether you can, in fact, collapse and raise and whether you can control it well. Those are the biggies. And if your friend here couldn't do that, meaning like you were watching it and it didn't happen, what would that signal to you? We would look then to see if it was a mobility issue or if it was a strength and control issue. And so that's where the depth squat and I could have them do a lunge, look at whether it all goes at once. Because like you mentioned, Julia, the kinetic chain and how everything is connected is a beautiful thing in the foot and ankle, but it looks like a bag of rocks. Like when you look at it in (laughs) x-ray, essentially, but if one piece isn't moving freely from the other, then they all kind of clunk and go together. It moves as a block instead of a synchronous dissociation. You should have one piece trickle into the next piece, into the next piece. And if it doesn't move like that, and it goes all at once too far and too fast, it's very difficult to control. So if there is a stiffness and everything on, from what we see goes together all at once, we would try to bring them into the office and tease out what's moving specifically. And if it did flow well, but they just couldn't control it, once you put them into a position where it was more challenging, like single leg positioning, single leg weight bearing, we would work on their strength and see if we could build their capacity in that way. And they can. <laughs> I also love that you mentioned the duck squat and the lunge, because I think when people think about, you mentioned the word dorsiflexion, which is basically bringing your foot towards your head, mm-hmm. right? Like that motion is pretty important. And I think a lot of us don't think about that motion all that much, but the way you mentioned measuring it was two active functional things, not taking your foot and just bringing it towards your head or having somebody take your foot and push it towards your head. You said, you know, do a lunge and bring your knee out as far over your foot as you can and see how far on either side it can go. Same thing with the duck squat, go down as low as you can into a squat and see how much your knee goes over your foot. Like, I just think those are really good, both tests that people can do to see how their ankles are doing, but also, you know, again, a hammering home that functional versus not functional. Really like that. Thanks. Jeremy, in case you're actually filming this visually, I would like you to, because when I think of you saying put your foot towards your head, it's not just bringing yeah. your great toe up. Why don't, yeah. you go, why don't you show us how to put your foot towards your head? <laughs> <laughs> and I knew you were going to have good socks on, too. I knew it. Gripper slippers. He's got, he's got that hot, uh, hot sock game, 100%. <laughs> I also think I just pulled a hip flexor, so we're good. Uh, well, that you, that, you there. Don't ma- don't freak out, Aaron. I did not. I was just that was those that are was important for, for your ankle function too, Jeremy. Didn't weren't you listening yes. earlier yes. to what Aaron was saying? Yes. You need your hips and your butt. You need your booty to make your ankle work, right, Aaron? Absolutely, glutes make the world go round. Yes. Oh my gosh, God, you All are day. full. You are full of pearls, little little isms that make me so happy. That's that's awesome. I love it. And the list of people I listen to about everything that they say, Aaron is on Ugh, that list. I, so I have some people in my life and Aaron, Aaron is on that list. Um, so <laughs> for sure. Okay. So we've now, you've done that assessment, right? And so maybe some people had some, some limitations and they lived in California and it was your sister or something. Like, what would you tell them to work on by themselves? So if it was mobility, you can sort of drive 
from a top-down standpoint, motion into your foot and ankle by manipulating your upper part of your leg. So I could have someone do a lunge, like a kneeling lunge. So it's a little better controlled and drive their knee forward over their foot to create more of that dorsiflexion, like you explained, and also to drive their knee a little bit more medially if they're someone who had developed some stiffness in their midfoot. So from the top down, you can drive it quite specifically by pushing your knee inward. If it was a strength and stability issue, if you look at them just standing on one leg and it seems like their ankle's the point of failure, you would have them work on likely if that's a trouble spot for them, heel toe balance instead of single leg, because we don't want people to be experiencing uncontrolled motion into their, their joint, which might be a little bit lax. And then if they were in single leg, leaning heavily to one side or the other side, we could suppose that it's likely their hip that's failing them more so and could give them a lot of glute strengthening. So they could do some of that laying down, they could do some of that standing, maybe with some upper body support. So it's a little more true to life, but they're still in a threshold for success. And they're not, you know, wiggling all over the place and overstressing their foot and ankle in the process of trying to get strong up top. Lots of up top. Yeah, that's great. Lots of different ways. That's part of the fun, though. It's all, you know, mix and match based on the individual. Yeah, choose your own adventure, right? <laughs> exactly. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, and the summary is obviously that being in person and having you do your full evaluation and your intake and what you can see and which and going through your process and getting a personalized program is certainly going to lead probably to better or maybe faster outcomes for people. But these, you know, the high yield nature of sometimes that's just not possible or for whatever reason and being able to have these high yield things that people can do to both test and say like, maybe my ankle isn't functioning the way it should be or some things that they can work on maybe in the meantime before until they have time to get it evaluated or, or treated. So love that stuff. Thank you. I'd say, yeah, better and faster first off, but then also it sounds like more sustainable, you know, like mm -hmm. obviously the sexy part is the like, Ooh, I'm getting, I can get better quicker. I can go back to playing pickleball or whatever quicker, or I can go train for, go back to training for the marathon quicker. But I love the, like really what you're baking in there, Aaron, and what you're really offering people is not only, Hey, I'm going to get you better pretty quickly. Cause really there's, there's only so much quicker that you can make this happen. I mean, like, like I tell people, like Mother Nature, everything in orthopedics <laughs> acutely takes four to six weeks. And I think that's what people think of as, as like every time you go to the doctor, it's like they told me six weeks. And it's like, yeah, it's a nice, nice round number. But really, the better and faster is, is ex extremely important. But I think what you offer folks, which you can't get a lot of other places, is sustainability and, and hopefully injury prevention because you are looking at it from that top-down approach, from that brain-forward approach. And I think that's invaluable, honestly. Well, and ultimately, the things people should leave with shouldn't feel like rehab. It should feel like cross-training or performance optimization because it should, yeah. again, feel like their sport. It should be true to what they need their foot and ankle to perform for. Yeah. So hopefully it's fun. Bake. I like to try to make it fun. <laughs> totally. Bake in the goodness. Bake it in. Yeah. Gooey center that stuff. What's your feeling on ankle braces and taping? You know, we take care of some you know, high level professional athletes, I feel like everybody and their mother is like either taping or using ankle braces, which leads to our younger youth athletes always feeling like they should tape or brace or like after this injury, sometimes they get put in a brace and they just become like so reliant on it. Are they doing, is that harmful? Is it fine? Like, how do you feel about that? So there are definitely cases after an ankle sprain where bracing or some form of immobilization is necessary. And there are studies, some out there that support braces you know, even for training and for injury prevention. But from a rehab standpoint, our job is always to work with the intrinsic factors, the things that people bring to the table outside of external support in order to minimize their risk for injury, help them perform better. And so tape won't structurally hold people. I think 
outside of athletic tape, dynamic tape, rock tape, kinesio tape, it's not going to be a structural support. It really works more through proprioception input through your skin. So that could arguably be a training tool. But generally speaking, we don't want to rely on external support unless absolutely necessary. I think that's great to to say and reiterate because I feel like there's a lot of misconception about bracing strategies for a lot of instability type events in orthopedics, particularly the first two that come to mind, which are a little bit off topic, but shoulder instability, so shoulder dislocations and patellar dislocations. And there's really no data to support that any brace prevents another dislocation. It may make people feel slightly better or give them some placebo effect or some type of, not placebo, but necessarily like like proprioceptive effect of like, hey, your skin is noticing that there's a thing on it. So your brain has that input there. But it sounds like what you're saying, Erin, and since you've, you know, been involved in research with a lot of this type of stuff as well, is, you know, is there a particular brace or particular type of taping that you feel like would be preventative? Not absolutely. Yeah. For like no, another not injury. Yeah. Um, okay. There's just that short duration after an acute okay. injury, from my experience, where it can be necessary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would imagine that that type of individual would have a good degree of laxity if they did exist and that they just simply did not want to undergo surgery yeah. or any kind of fixation. Sure. And in that case, perhaps, like you're saying, whether it is structural or whether it is placebo and helping someone have the confidence and get rid of the apprehension that might lead to the delay in reaction time that places their foot in the wrong place at the wrong time, that it may be advantageous for the individual. But I haven't seen that across the board by any means. And it's difficult because I feel like in a lot of, I'm sure in orthopedics and in musculoskeletal and medicine and, and physical therapy, there's, I mean, everybody, myself included, are looking for quicker fixes, you know, something that's simple and passive and easy. And you can take a pill or wear a brace or, you know, something that doesn't involve a lot of homework (laughs) to do. And by and large, you get out what you put in. It's sort of, I think it is a a rule that is more often true than it is not true. So in keeping with sort of the theme of the podcast, there's a little bit of let the buyer beware of these are temporizing measures to provide short-term neurologic proprioceptive feedback to the brain so that you can feel more comfortable and control symptoms enough to be able to work on that neurologic stability. Yeah, yeah, overall. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely, yeah. No. Or parts of that <laughs> statement? <laughs> that was a long statement. <laughs> Definitely. The, the tape itself, outside of athletic tape and dynamic tape, doesn't provide structural support. It just gives you that kind of like comfort hug and the input through the brain, just like you said, 100%. Yeah. It does look cool though. And I feel like it feels nice. Like when you like, when you get like spats into, you know, like you get that really, really thick athletic tape. I've actually, Jeremy, did you ever tape up your ankles at all when you were playing sports? It's a good question. I don't think so. I hated the feeling of tape and also getting it off kind of sucked too. So yeah. uh, I think to a certain extent I didn't. I, I may have wore a brace from time to time, like after an injury. I played basketball and I played a lot of sports, but the I feel like I rolled my ankles a million times and I just feel like it really hammered on in my own head of how this injury is just completely overlooked. People just always are like, yeah, I just rolled my ankle. It swelled up it bruised it's fine and then it's going to be fine and like again i think that's why i like this episode so much because those injuries can both in cumulative cause problems but in addition like there are things that are happening that can have long-term implications here to your function and cause other problems up the chain or change things overall for you and we should be addressing those so that you don't have problems totally 
I agree 100%. I think, yeah, what's common is common. And I feel like it's fun to have these series because, I mean, I wonder if there's anybody who hasn't had even like a little minor ankle sprain. <laughs> Dude, I had one a couple years ago when I was at work. I was I, I was wearing a new pair of like little like kind of shoes with a little bit of a wedge, which is now I only wear like nicer looking athletic type shoes to work because I'm a dork, you know, but uh, <laughs> that was, I made the mistake of like, oh, I just got a little wedge on. And then I went, I totally rolled my ankle in the middle of work seeing patients. It was awful. And I was the person who was like, there's no way I didn't break this. And of course I didn't, <laughs> Like, but I have access to x-rays so I could, you know, there's, it is a little demoralizing when you're like, dude, that's definitely broken. And it's like, nah, you're just a little bit of a dork wiener when it comes to this, but I don't know. It's, they're rough, man. Yeah. So maybe the last thing we could touch on, Aaron, are there some things that maybe for people who haven't had major injuries or or maybe haven't had significant issues with their ankles that they could do to prevent ankle injuries? Absolutely. So keeping your cardiorespiratory fitness up is one, just you know, doing your cardio, working on your glute strength, your core strength. So a good way to kind of integrate that into your day would be anything lunging, single leg exercises. So single leg squats, lunges in all directions, those curtsy ones, skater ones, side planks all the fun stuff that people love to hate <laughs> and um, <laughs> single leg balance. So working on single leg stability, but with purpose and not just balancing on one foot and staying still, but manipulating your body, rotating side to side, picking a target in front of you and turn your head or let your eyes go with it. Cause in sport, it, it is, if you so choose to participate in sports, which I hope you do, uh, you're going to be catching things or throwing things. And that's something that you'll need to be ready for and prepared for. And I think you'll likely be seeing a whole bunch more ankle injuries. Basketball is one of the highest ranked sports yeah. for, for ankle sprains. And congrats on the new the new position, new ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know in the in the NBA that it gets its own even like part of the physical is like there's ankle form. It's like it's that important, obviously. So you already mentioned earlier as part of like maybe it's not the best thing to do as part of the rehab, but like when people are trying to prevent is is doing things on unstable surfaces like those pillows and stuff overall good? Yes. Yeah. It trains reaction time. So it's more the musculoskeletal quick, fast twitch reaction. It just won't improve your proprioception as much as working on a solid surface. But it's definitely beneficial. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So later, later stages, not earlier stages is what I hear for those things, which is great. That's, that's a really nice point. Well, I think that this has been really high yield. Me, myself with my own ankle problems has learned, has learned a bunch, (laughs) honestly, and and Julie and I do this for a living. So I think we'll take home a lot of messages here. Uh, Aaron, we like to kind of finish every episode with a rapid fire of questions. We, we did that on what the health and we were bringing it to your doctor friends because we have, our friends that we're introducing mm-hmm. to our friends. <laughs> and so with that, Julie, do you want to start? Sure. You know, right now as we're as we're taping this episode, it's the last like month or so of summer. Have you been to any like great shows or done any like great outings with the family or something that you would love or any concerts or anything that you went to that you would love to relive or anything you're looking forward to for the the end of summer? A lot coming up, and then I so don't spread it around, but I just turned 40. Oh, <laughs> so my family did a staycation, okay. which was lovely. Yeah, just stay somewhere with a pool outside downtown, which was great. And then my lovely. sister's wedding is in a week, so we'll be going to Oregon to celebrate her and her fiance, soon to be husband. Very exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Have so much fun. I love it up there. Pacific Northwest is gorgeous. 
and filled with gorges. <laughs> oh, Julie. It's no wonder we get so many listeners. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's just like the... Millions and millions. They all know you're 40 yep, now, Aaron. Yeah, there. The... Shout it from the root. <laughs> when we have our post-episode like debrief, it's going to be a situation where I'm going to have to really start to step up my game because Julie has completely taken over the dad jokes. <laughs> and it's just... It, it's, These are cat mom <laughs> jokes now. Move aside. Pani, pani. I don't know, like this, <laughs> the student has become the teacher. Um, so, Aaron, physical therapists get all these like fun tools to play with and all this stuff. What's like the newest or hottest thing that you love to play with in the clinic? Oh, so I have a couple. You've seen one or two. There's a toe dynamometer, so you can measure pounds per square inch because I, you know, I love my objective data. Pounds per square Don't inch. Don't get too excited, everybody listening, as you just like drive off the road, as you're like, toe dynamometer! <laughs> you can see my smile and then more fun <laughs> yeah their psi on the on their uh accelerator just went up <laughs> they go down to the tenth of a pound guys <laughs> and oh then my goodness. Oh, play shots, which are really legitimately super fun you just um throw them down on the ground they light up different colors and you know, go at it. <laughs> Those are very social media friendly. Those show up all the time. I feel like on oh, people. Yeah. And, uh, and now having experienced them under Aaron's watch, um, they are very <laughs> difficult. They're fun. It's like playing Simon. Yeah, it's Simon, totally. right? it it, Like Simon mm-hmm. on the floor and go do that. It's like Simon and Twister put together. I always think <laughs> of the just, Chuck E. Cheese look at me, game. Look at me, millennium <laughs> child. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the whack-a-mole. <laughs> yeah. I really like the question that we always ask Julie about, like, what do you do in the car? Julie, uh, yeah. Aaron doesn't spend as much time in the car as us, but you do drive in the car. So, like, what do you do to keep yourself busy in the car? Yeah. I'm a super embarrassing person singing at the top of my lungs at, like, 5 a.m. Yes. <laughs> so what are you singing sure. then? Oh, it's every day, different. Alt-rock, R&B, like, <laughs> I, I was uh, an undergrad in Atlanta, woman. so my fair share of ludicrous. It's good. Yeah. Yes. All over the board. <laughs> yes. You were a woman after my own heart. These are excellent mm-hmm. answers. Definitely. The yeah, the social media will now have to have rollout as part of the uh, <laughs> our episode for sure. I have one particular Ludicus song that I think of when I'm in the car a lot. I won't sing it because <laughs> it involves expletives, but it's about other people getting out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Aaron, if people want to learn more about you, what can they find you? Um, on social, I'm Muscle and Flow Physio, and then on the Movement Guild website, they can learn more about me and my clinic. Great. Thank you for taking the time. I think this was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen to your ankle. Take care of your ankle. Listen to your doctor friends. Mm-hmm. I like it. The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.